Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let me give you the sermon in just a sentence this morning. Following Jesus' merciful attitude and actions is the disciples' pathway to real happiness. Now, I'm not going to go back and talk about the definition of happiness this morning. Uh, Dan Doriani did a wonderful job on that last Sunday. If you didn't happen to be here last Sunday, let me encourage you to go and to listen to that sermon uh, on our website. The whole sermon is tremendous, but in particular, Dan takes about two minutes and he works through this, this understanding of happiness. What I want us to focus on this morning is that effect that Jesus's merciful attitude, so that the mindset he had towards a lost world was a mindset of mercy, and his actions displayed that mercy. He lived out those merciful deeds, and that is the pathway for every person who calls themselves a disciple of Jesus. And so are we on that pathway this morning? Am I a merciful person? Are you a merciful disciple of Jesus? That's the question that we want to consider. And we're simply going to do it by defining mercy uh, in a couple of ways, and then we're going to talk just very briefly at the end about the outcome. What happens when mercy infiltrates your life and my life? Let's talk about uh, defining mercy. And the first of the two definitions we're going to use, we're going to look at the charitable nature of mercy, the charitable nature of mercy. Now, mercy deals with the outcomes of sin. So what are the outcomes of living in a sinful broken world, uh, sickness, uh, loss of a job from time to time, a, a difficulty in a relationship, uh, living in a, in, a, in a place where you don't have a home, as we uh, heard from the folks who are at Homes of Hope. It deals with, with the pain and the misery and the distress that is caused by our sin. So mercy deals with the outcomes of sin. It's very similar to grace, but there's a, there's a little nuance there that we, that we want to make sure we catch this morning. Grace specifically deals with our guilt, and it brings pardon to our life. So when we say that, that we have been saved by the grace of God, what we're saying is that Jesus took our guilt on the cross so that he could offer us forgiveness and he could pardon our sins. Your sins being pardoned and my sins being pardoned don't mean that they were swept under the rug. It doesn't mean that God's turning a blind eye and just pretending like it never happened. The, the price for your sin and mine was paid on the cross so that Jesus could be gracious towards us, so that he could pardon our sin. Whereas mercy brings relief to suffering. It's an act of goodwill, so to speak. So in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is approached by a lawyer and he, and he is asked a question about the greatest commandment. And Jesus says, well, you know, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one's like it, love your neighbor as myself. And then the man challenges Jesus, and Luke says he wanted to justify himself. And so he says to Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? I mean, let's get down to it, Lord. Who, who exactly am I supposed to, to love in this way? And Jesus tells a story, uh, and there are four main characters in the story. There, there is a, a Pharisee and a Sadducee, and a Samaritan. So two really, really religious guys, and Samaritan is like an outcast. Nobody wants to be around him. And then there's this, this business guy that's on a trip. And you've maybe heard this story before. The business guy gets beat up. He gets robbed. He's left for dead on the side of the road somewhere between Jerusalem and Jericho. And this really religious guy comes along on his way to Jerusalem, and he looks at him, and he crosses over on the other side of the street, and he ignores him, and he goes on his way. The same 
thing happens with a second guy, very religious, very devout, very pious, sees this guy in need and walks around him and goes on his merry way. The third guy, who is the guy in the story that you would think simply would have no interest in helping his enemy and caring for him, stops and bandages up his wounds and takes him to a local inn at the next town. And he gives some money to the innkeeper and he says, this money will cover his expenses and if you, if you need any more, pay it and when I get back, I'll repay you. And then Jesus turns to the lawyer and he says, now let me ask you a question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. There's that, uh, there's that action. There is that active goodwill. The one who actually did something about his plight. So Jesus said, that's exactly right. You go and do exactly the same thing. You go and be a merciful child of God. Mercy brings relief to suffering. And as we said this morning in the call to worship uh, out of Psalm 86, our God is a merciful God. If you, if you just go and you Google mercy or merciful and you look at the scriptures, you will find uh, dozens of verses that talk about God's mercy. God, you are a merciful God. And that's why we recited or read some of those words this morning on the screen. Let me take you to, to uh, 1 John uh, chapter 3, where the Apostle John says this. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? That is a rhetorical question. <laughs> The answer is God's love does not abide in him. If I have the power to help you, you're in need. I, I can actually do something about it. You're on the side of the road and you've been hurt or you've, you've lost a job and you need some help or, or whatever the case may be. You just need somebody to come and sit and talk with you and visit with you because you're struggling right now. And I have the power, I have the wherewithal to do that. And I know you need it. And I know that I'm available to do it. And I don't do it. John says, how on earth can you call yourself a Christian and have that attitude? Because those two things are polar opposites of one another because our God is a merciful God and he showed his mercy by sending Jesus to pay the price for my sins. God was the one who initiated this act of goodwill. God saw the results of sin was not just misery, not just suffering, not just the, the things that are within the, the created cosmos, but he also saw that, that death and hell were going to be an outcome for the entire world if he didn't do something about it. And God painted a picture of mercy. Meekness, let me, before I get to that, let me say this. I think if we look at this story, the story, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan carefully, I think what we're seeing is not a story about loving your neighbor, I think we're seeing a story about what it means to love God. Because remember how Jesus starts it off. What's the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you do that, the natural outcome will be you will love your neighbor as yourself. The story of the Good Samaritan asks the, doesn't ask the question, do I love my neighbor first and foremost? The story of the Good Samaritan first and foremost asks the question, do I love God? And that is the question that we must wrestle with this morning. The charitable nature of our God, the charitable nature of mercy. What I was getting ready to say earlier was that meekness 
which we looked at a couple weeks ago. Nathan did a wonderful job with that. Acknowledges my sin to others, whereas mercy brings me face to face with needs which I can be part of meeting. Mercy is what's behind the notion of move beyond. You know, in our move initiative this year, we have, we have three words that we put to that, right? We want God to move in our hearts. We want him to grow us up as disciples of his. That's why we're going through this discipleship series. We want us to, him to help us move home. We want to have a permanent place in Kirkwood. But it doesn't stop there. We want God to move us beyond wherever he's going to take you this week, wherever he's going to place you, wherever I'm going to find myself this week, it's beyond the, the walls of the church, so to speak, but we are the church. It's where the church is going, and the church must be merciful if we're going to call ourselves disciples of Jesus. Where will you and I be this week where we can be active in caring for others? There's an old story out there that, that maybe you've heard before uh, of a man who comes across the scene in his town uh, back in the 1800s, uh, and everybody's looking at this horse that has fallen down and, and broken its leg. And the owner is going to have to put him down. And the owner uh, is a man who uses the horse for, for deliveries. He's a delivery man around the area, and it's the only source of income. And without this horse, he, he's going to be destitute. And everybody's standing around going, oh, this is so sad. Oh, this is so pitiful. Oh, I'm so sorry about this. And this man walks up, and he sees it, and he takes off his hat, and he says, I'm sorry, too. I'm sorry $5 worth. How about you? How much are you sorry? How much are you sorry? What's he doing? He's helping meet the man's needs so he can get a new horse. That's the act of compassion of which this beatitude speaks. Blessed are those who take action of compassion when the opportunity presents itself. For they shall receive mercy. The charitable nature of mercy. But there's another nuance here that goes a little bit beyond just the idea of of being charitable and active and helping others, and that is the forgiving nature of mercy. And let me give you a, a quote by John Stott. He says, We cannot claim to have repented of our sin if we are unmerciful toward the, sin, the sins of others. That's a great statement. We cannot claim to have repented of our sin if we are unmerciful toward the sins of of others. I want to take you to another story that Jesus told on a different occasion, uh, and it's in Matthew's gospel, and Matthew, you can read it in Matthew chapter 18. It's actually titled the parable or the story of the unmerciful store, uh, servant. And the story starts out, and there's a king who is settling the accounts of people that owe him money, and he brings this one guy in, and the guy owes him literally like millions of dollars. I mean, it, it's a debt he, he's never going to be able to repay. It's, it's beyond anything that, you know, that he's capable of doing in 10 lifetimes. But he falls on his face before the king and he pleads for mercy and the king forgives the debt. He lets him go. Then the guy gets up and he goes out and he finds a buddy of his that owes him $25. And Jesus says he grabs him by the collar and starts to choke him and says, pay me my money. And the guy says, just be patient with me. I'll pay it back. He's asking for mercy. And the guy has him thrown in jail. He refuses to be merciful to him. Now already you're going, those dots don't connect. There's no way you can put together somebody who's been forgiven a debt that they could never repay and, and turning around and being a complete, and I can't use the word in church, that kind of person to somebody who owes them 25 bucks. Those two things can't possibly go together. Towards the end of the story, Jesus says, here's what happens. The king, who's kind of got ears all around the country, right? The king knows what's going on. He hears what happened. And he calls the servant in. And he says, you know, I forgave you this huge debt. What did you do? 
you wicked servant. I forgave you the debt because you pleaded with me. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? See, all we're really learning from, from all, like it's not anything profound. What we're really learning from this beatitude is self-reflection. Look at what God has done for you. If I look at what God has done for me, if I look at the enormity of my sin, if I look at the, the, the things that I don't even tell you all about, and I, and I look at, at what I deserve, and I look at God's grace, how can I turn around and, and not forgive Cindy if we get in a, in a spat with one another? How can, I not, how can I not forgive my children? How can I not go out of my way just a little bit to help somebody if I have a resource that's going to help them? How can I claim to be a follower of Christ and yet not live a life of mercy. I think mercy begins by seeing your sin in the context of my sin. If you've offended me, I'm going to be a lot quicker to forgive you when I stop and remember who I am apart from Christ than if I skip on ahead to just, to just dealing with what you've done to me and, and how maybe you've hurt my feelings or how, how you've offended me. But I believe the forgiving nature of mercy starts with me saying, that's right, that, that, that's Tom Ricks. Tom Ricks needs a lot of mercy. <laughs> Tom Ricks needs a lot of, of God's grace in his own life. Now, I want to be careful here because there are some simple acts of forgiveness in the context of mercy, and then there are some that are extraordinarily profound. Some are very easy, and some are nearly impossible, if not impossible, part of impossible apart from the power of God to work in my lives. If you, if you say something to me off the cuff that's kind of a smart aleck comment, and you come back and you go, I shouldn't have said that. You know what? Pretty quickly I can say, you know, don't worry about it. Water under the bridge. I've said dumb things before. Let's move on. If I do something that, you know, I, I offend you in some small way. You say, Tom, you know, I really wish you hadn't done that, but I, I want to be merciful. I want to forgive you. Let's move on. Those kind of things happen all the time. Those kind of things probably happen every day in our lives. Uh, if you have kids in your house, it, it probably happens every day. And those things, I think, are needing God's power and God's strength to do, but they, they can happen quickly. There are other places in our lives where we're deeply wounded by someone else. There are other places in our life that, that go to, to go to dark places that some of us have never been. And for those types of acts of mercy, could take years to unfold. And so I want to be very careful here this morning. I believe the power of God is there to handle that kind of forgiveness. If I didn't believe that, I, I, I would get another job and do something else because I would be wasting your time right now. I know that God can bring forgiveness in the most profound circumstances. My wife was abused by her stepfather when she was 13, 14 years old, and I know that she has gone through the process of forgiving him of giving mercy to him. I've seen it firsthand in my own life, but I want to be careful here and, and make sure that if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, Tom, I, <laughs> you know, we're not talking about, uh, you know, I, this person needs a little bit of mercy. We're talking about something that I look at and, and it almost makes me not want to get out of bed in the morning. I want you to know that I, that I understand that. This is a, the green tree is a place where you can, you can work through that. We want to be a brother or a sister to you and help you walk through that process together. I don't want you to ignore it. I don't want you to, to say it could never happen, but I also don't want you to think that I'm just saying, well, just be merciful. Come on, get on with it. 
Right? Now, if, if you haven't forgiven your, your wife because yesterday she said a cross word to you, then, and you're a disciple of Jesus, and I'll put myself in that boat sometimes, then shame on us. Okay? We should move to that kind of mercy pretty quickly. But in those profound moments, the moments where you need God's grace in, in an overflowing way, know that it's available to you. I, I read a story this last week about a man whose daughter was attacked uh, by a young man and, and was, uh, was just abused terribly. And after everything was over and the young man was in prison, he began to go and visit him. I just don't think I could ever do that on my own strength. I don't even see how that's remotely possible. But eventually, he not only forgave that young man, but he led him to Christ. And, he, and they continued a relationship with him after he got out of prison. That's the profound power of the mercy of God in our lives. It's not simple sometimes. It's not easy. But it is available to us because of what God has done for us. If we're going to define mercy accurately as disciples of Jesus, we need to understand the charitable nature of mercy, and we also need to understand the forgiving nature of mercy. And I think in the forgiving nature of mercy, let me say one more thing before we move on. I think if we practice mercy every day in the small things, if something big comes our way, we'll be in a better place to step into that moment as well. If I practice the small things every day, when the big things come, it'll be part of my life, and that journey, I think, will be a little bit easier. What are the outcomes of mercy? Uh, clearly, we saw this morning, Homes of Hope, an outcome was uh, some new homes for people that did not have homes before. Uh, an outcome of mercy could be that you spend some time with a friend who's, who's lost, lost a loved one, and you just care for them, and, and your bond is a little bit closer together. They, they feel nurtured and they feel cared for. What are the outcomes of mercy? What's the application? How do we answer the application question this morning? Well, God's outcome was the cross. If God was going to be merciful and God was going to bring forgiveness and new life, it had to come through his son, the Lord Jesus, which means it had to come through a sacrifice. So God's outcome in, in allowing Jesus to be able to preach this sermon on mercy was for God to be actively merciful to his enemies. That was God's outcome. The result of which a lot of are, is sitting here this morning, disciples of Jesus. People who were destined for eternity and separation from God and, and hell apart from God are now part of God's family and destined for eternity with God and life everlasting, not because we're good, not because we figured it all out, but because God acted mercifully towards us. What is our outcome? And, I, and I'm kind of kidding a little bit there, but I don't know. It's kind of, where does mercy need to come in your life? Where does mercy need to come in my life? You have to look at your, not only your own heart, but you also have to look at your own circumstances. And there may be somebody this morning that's been asking you for forgiveness, and you just, you haven't been willing to do it. It may be that you're a person in need of forgiveness, but you can't forgive yourself. There's a lot of different ways this application would go. But I want you to notice how Jesus puts this together. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, it seems a little bit backwards on the surface. It seems like it should say, blessed are those because they've received merciful mercy, they're able to be merciful to others. It seems like Jesus is saying, now when, you, when you're merciful, then, then God will reward you and he'll give you mercy. So it's a quid pro quo. You have to work hard, but you'll get it. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is the more you're merciful, 
the more you exhibit that character of his, the more you understand how merciful God's been to you. Because it cost you something to forgive someone. It cost you something to offer a charitable action to another person. That is a sacrifice you make. You may be 100% in the right and the other person's offended you and they're completely in the wrong and you know it and they know it and they come and ask for forgiveness. It's going to cost you to say it's okay. I forgive you. I'm going to let that go. You see somebody in need, it may cost you an entire afternoon. It may cost you an entire weekend. It may cost you a thousand bucks to go on the Home for Hope trips unless you're a really great golfer and then it's only going to cost you, or bowler and then it's only going to cost you $500. It's going to cost you something to live out mercy. But when we live in that place, what we see more and more is how merciful God has been to us. You see, being merciful shows that we're beginning to get it. It means we're beginning to look at the world as disciples, being transformed by the kindness of God that's been shown to us. Those who extend mercy will reflect the Lord Jesus. They will bring his care to others. And the more they do that, the more they will discover they are recipients of a far greater mercy than they could ever extend. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this teaching that we call the Beatitudes, the blessings of God. We thank you that our Lord Jesus took time to uh, explain this to his disciples in that day face to face and explain it to us this morning through his word and through his Holy Spirit. And Father, this is an easy one to kind of talk about. It's easy to define. It's hard to apply because we want our pound of flesh and we don't want to be inconvenienced and we don't really want to sacrifice all that much. And Father, I don't pray that in an accusatory tone. I look at my own heart, and I know that's true. I'll help you if it's not too difficult for me. I'll forgive you if you haven't hurt my feelings too badly. But Lord, this is a whole different level that you're talking about. You're talking about literally dying to our right sometimes to, to have somebody you know, come and, and grovel at our feet and tell us how wrong they were. We're, we're dying to our right to keep our possessions if we can freely give them away to someone else in need. It's going to cost us something. But Father, help us understand that the blessing far outweighs the cost. That the more we are merciful, the more we see what you have done when it comes to mercy in our own lives. And we'll understand that, that we can never act mercifully to the extent that you have. But Father, create within us the desire to reflect the Lord Jesus in this. We pray in his name, amen.